clone from the sky. everybody, this is The Tilt Shift. Um, I'm Charlie Pimentel. Jake Francis. Chris Jacoby. So this is episode three, and we are discussing P.T. Anderson's Magnolia. Uh, this is one of my favorite films, so it was, uh, it was a pick on my, from my list, and uh, I'm really excited. And so let's just get started and go straight into first impressions. Uh, how about you, Jake? Why don't you start? All right. First impressions. Um, I didn't love the opening. The first three minutes, I thought I was in for a totally different film. And if that was going to be the film, I, I didn't think I was going to love it. Um, and I probably wouldn't have if it kept that tone and that sort of style, which I think they probably could have could have cut that. But uh, as soon as we got into the, the main characters and we started to see the stories of the people that the film was going to be about, I was I was totally in. Um, other first impressions. Love the first two hours. Um didn't love as much the last hour, but overall, again, and this this comes up a lot, I think, in this film, where when when you put all the pieces together, it just works. But if I was to be, if I had to choose, I would say the first two hours are, are stronger. I just enjoyed them more. But I, I mean, the final hour was great. It just not not as much as the first. Um, and uh, those are those are kind of my big first impressions. So this movie really hit in 1999 when this movie came out. Uh, it, it was the part of my life where I was really getting into movies. Right. And, and you kind of start off with like the films that you enjoy and you're like, oh, this is cool. This is cool. You go title to title and then you start going director to director. Mm-hmm. And then and then you and there was a time where it was just sort of like unbridled ex- exploration. So I saw any movie that got like any sort of Academy Award com- nomination or any sort of like buzz about it. I just went and I saw it. And I think I saw this movie in the theater, but I really remember renting it. And, you know, you get like two and a half days or something when you rent a video. And I remember watching it at least twice and trying to figure this movie out. And there's something that gets under your skin because you think you figure it out, and but you can't fully do it, right? And and what was cool about watching it now, you talk about filters, I think age has a lot to do with it, right? So as you, you know, it's just different from when I was 20 years ago to now. And a lot of the scenes, you're just like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. I get that scene. I get where this is coming from now uh, and we'll discuss that a little bit later but what i loved was it did bring me back all those years and i was like oh yeah i remember how hard i tried to find that eight two in every scene or tried to find the binding link behind every character um i'll just add i really loved the emotional payoff and was it was so unexpected when in this second watch and i watched it um like a couple of weeks ago, like in a t- in two hours and one hour, uh, again, like you, Jake, get through the intro. And then I almost couldn't turn it off, right? It's got this like music, it's got this kind of pace that goes. And then when I got to the end, I was like, oh, wow, this is really, this is really quite powerful and original and audacious to make a three-hour film like this. 1999. I'm glad you mentioned that year and that, yeah, it's 20 years old uh, as a film. Um P.T. Anderson is one of my favorite directors, and I used to work at a video store, and I, I rented. I did not know that. I, <laughs> That's I, awesome. I, I rented um, maybe three or four of his films one week and just watched all of them. 
Um, and I might have been because there will be blood piqued my interest. And this one definitely was just instantly in my top 10 list. Uh, I had never seen anything like it. And though there were a string of films in the 90s and 2000s that tried to follow the eight interconnected stories kind of structure, uh, none of them nailed it like this one. Um, and I think it's because this film isn't really calling attention to the fact that they're different narratives. That there is no like setup scenes or uh, chapter titles. It was just they all like blended seamlessly into each other. Um, and I th I think that's the um, that's one of its key elements that really made it such a awesome film that you said you couldn't pause it. I think there's like no place to pause the film. Um, mm -hmm. That's it, so true. It it just felt it felt like it was so it was really fast paced despite being so long. It's more of a sprint than a marathon. That's what it kind of felt like as a film. Um, I felt the movie is just relentless and it doesn't give you time to breathe. Um, there's a song in the op in the intro that one is the loneliest number, and it felt like it was on loop. I'm like, oh my gosh, how long is this song? Because it's like the first like 10, 15 minutes of the movie that song's playing the entire time, um, and uh, it just keeps going and going. And the entire movie's layered with a score that's similar, and it just evokes so much anxiety. And the movie builds towards this crescendo. And it's so intense, and you feel the anxiety that all the characters seem to exude. And when you eventually reach that crescendo, and they start singing, which we can go into later, you're just like, yeah, I can, I can use this right about now. In this big game that we play, life, it's not what you hope for, it's not what you deserve, it's what you take. I'm Frank T.J. Mackey. Master of the Muffin, and author of the Seduce and Destroy system, now available to you on audio and video cassette. Seduce and Destroy will teach you the techniques to have any hard body blonde just don't you. For over 30 years, America has hung out and answered questions with Jimmy Gaylor. An American legend and a true television icon, Jimmy celebrates his 12,000th hour of broadcast this week. That happened. I'm Jimmy Gaylor. Donald W. Whitaker, 1911. North America, South America. The answer is four. The answer is 22. The answer is gravity. The answer is the life of Samuel Johnson. Pretty exciting. Bet you don't get many people my age getting braces. You are so cute when you're on that game show. Well, you're his doctor, and that's why. Tell me something. Tell me something. And he needs more pills than he needs more pills. Hello. This is Jim. I work in law enforcement. I'm an officer for the LAPD and work out of the North Hollywood district. I love my job and I love to go to the movies. I try to stay physically fit. My job demands it, so I'm in pretty good shape. I'm getting up there, though. I'm 32 years old and I'm 6 feet 2 inches tall and I weigh about 180, if that's important to you. I'm really interested in meeting someone special who likes quiet things. My life is very stressful and I'd hope to have a relationship that is very calm and, and undemanding and loving. If you are this person, please leave me a message at box number 82. Thank you. And we move through this life, we should try and do good. Do good. And if we can do that, not hurt anyone else, well, then. So let's 
get into standout scenes. Uh, if I can just ask you guys to maybe nominate a few, and then we'll talk about a few, and we'll pick a winner. Um, Chris, you want to start? Uh, <laughs> I would. Um, I, I think, m first, it's hard choosing all the Frank Mackey scenes. <laughs> like at, from yeah. his intro <laughs> to the interview to his uh, seminar to when he's on the phone to when he meets his father, right? I think these are the key scenes for Frank Mackey. Um, I would say of all of those, it's when he meets his father. The second one is uh, everything to do with Phil and Claudia. And uh, the date, like from when they meet, the date. Jim, you mean. Isn't it Jim? Officer Jim. Sorry, Jim. Yeah. Jim and Claudia. Uh, when they meet, it's it's like the meet cute scene, yeah. right? Um, their date. And I love when he's in the car. <laughs> when he's in the car. <laughs> talking after, to himself. When he's talking to himself. Mm -hmm. You know, he needed a win. He got a win. And I think we feel that sort of happiness. And then the last one from me is when Phil, the nurse Phil, is talking with the, um, the the marketer for Seduce or the salesperson from Seduce on the phone, and he's saying, I need you to get Frank on the phone. His father is dying, and, mm. and I, I, he needs to talk to him. Cool. How, how about you, Jake? What are your favorites? Yeah, I mean, Chris just nailed so many good ones. I feel like like some of the scenes for me are, are probably not as dramatically impressive, but they were just, they were funny. Um, I think... How we how we get to, to meet William H Macy is just awesome. Like yes. you know, from the from the cut, you know, the flashback to quiz show Donnie, to he, he, he's sitting in the orthodontist chair, right? And that's just that's just a funny scene. And then he runs out the door, and there's just so many th kind of throwaway lines. Like, well, well, you seem to be in a rush, and he's like, well, I got to get to work. <laughs> like, I got I got a lot of money I need to start making. And then and then he drives his car right through the window of a Seven Eleven. Yeah, that was weird. Like, it's just such an awesome <laughs> string of scenes. Um, love that as an inch. Like, I, I always think like, how do you introduce a character, right? And in, in so many movies, it's just kind of like they show up and they're like, Hey, I'm the bad guy or like, you know, I'm this character. But like, that's, that's such a creative way of saying mm. like, okay, in one minute, I think you know a lot about who this guy is, maybe what he's going through. So love that scene. I thought the pharmacy scenes were amazing mm. with the Julianne Moore. Yeah. Um, those were those were awesome. Like they just they talk about doing a lot with very little, mm -hmm. and like such an ordinary scene. We all go to the pharmacy. Mm -hmm. We all have mm -hmm. to you know deal with the pharmacist, and they go in in behind. And there's so much sort of said without any dialogue in those moments. Uh, really love those scenes, and I'm not a huge Julianne Moore fan, but I thought that scene in particular. And we'll, I'll talk more about that later. But love that scene. Yeah. Any more? Mm, it's plenty more, but let's for okay. now. I'd say those are the big two. I, I have too many, so. I I've named them though. So, uh, the William H Macy's uh, Donnie the quiz kid scene with the old man at the bar. Okay, I, yeah. I really like yeah. that conversation. Um, he's my gun to a knife fight. Yeah, nominee. Uh, the old man. Uh, yeah, the man that he's talking to. Um, Officer Jim meeting Claudia as well with the music blaring. Such a good scene. T.J. Mackey interview with the reporter. The silently judging you scene. Mm -hmm. um, Stanley peeing on the game show, I think, is one of my favorite scenes. I think because there's a lot going on there other than Stanley peeing, because mm -hmm. there's also Jimmy Gator's conflict that's in the background happening at the same time. Right, yeah. And then um, 
Partridge's monologue before he's given the morphine is the most powerful scene, in my opinion. Uh, the regret, right? And he's talking about the regret. Yeah. And then I, I almost was going to skip these last two scenes because I, th- I thought it was a given. The everyone singing Wise Up and the Raining Frogs. Um, so I don't know. What, what do you guys want to talk about? Of all, all the ones that we've just mentioned, which, what are the two or three we should talk about? Okay, so this to review, we, we've all nominated our, our scenes. Like yeah. Yes, scenes, yes. But, it, but it, I actually picked two out of five, whereas, Charlie, I think you gave six. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but But, uh, and then from there, we'll, like, pick a few. And then and like, talk about it. I think, I, I, think I did about six as well. So, okay. But I got it looked four like more to go, Jim. crossover, right? Yeah. Let's look at where there was crossover. Maybe we can talk about those ones. Like, right? Okay. The, the, the well, can, I add, can I add one more then? Sure, yeah. That's what okay, I okay. I'll, I'll, <laughs> add, I'll add one want. more, and, and, then, and then we'll call it even. Um, I really love the this show um, transition from the game show where um, our, our brilliant – superstar child whose name is totally escaping me stanley. right now stanley 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 recites the lyrics from the opera mm. yeah, yeah yeah and then obviously because he's brilliant recites them in perfect french and mm-hmm. then actually breaks into song mm-hmm. and, and sings it and then the cutting to john c Riley with malarco walters right in their apartment and that song is playing it's just like it's kind of a classic edit in a mm. way to Look, use that we could save that to talk great. we could talk about that during the one two punch okay yeah, yeah. It, that's a good one to punch, It's such right? a good scene. It covers all the categories. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... But we could give it more time in one-two punch is what I'm saying. All right. Yeah. Can I just throw in a quick deep thoughts? Did you ever notice how hard those questions were on the game show? I actually wrote this down. I'm like, these are really, really hard questions. So it's like, here it is in this. Yeah, Luis Guzman you know, is so like, good. What's, like, the, you know the question about the notes? Here's three notes from a picnic. What would they be at the picnic? And I was like, what kind of question is this? <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was like yeah, exceedingly yeah. difficult questions. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, let's talk about the Partridge I... monologue. Sure. Officer Jim meeting Claudia. Okay. Um, which which TJ Mackey scene do you want to talk about? Because you got you want to talk about one. Uh, well, sorry. Can I? Um, I guess if yours are are cuts or transitions, I found that a commonality in mine are monologues, hmm. right? So they're sort of key monologues, and I wonder if it fills the scene. Can I start with one? I've got so I've got three, if that's okay, and I like to start with one. Yeah. Okay. What are you talking about, TJ Mackey? Uh, no, I want to start with uh, Phil. Phil on the phone. Okay. If that's okay. So yeah, yeah, his, yeah. get in there, man. I I really like Phil. Um, it, it, it obviously for me seeps with character uh, just because he's so giving and he's so nice. He knows this family. He wants to help so much. You you really feel it, right? You know, he tried the number. It didn't work. And then he orders, he orders all um, like the Playgirl magazines, right? Playboy. The, yeah, Playboy. Sorry, Playboy. And then like Hustler and other ones and just really pours his heart out. Yeah. And that, that's that's all he has to do. Uh-huh. Right. And and I think this was his moment uh, in the movie. And he he's, he's going to try to do anything to try and bring this family together because he thinks it's really worth it. Well, there's no number for Frank in any of Earl's stuff, you know, and he's pretty out of it. I mean, like I said, he's dying, dying of cancer. So what kind of cancer? Well, it's brain and lung. Oh, I'm sorry. Is she all right? Is she... Oh, she's fine now. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it was scary though. Oh, it's a hell of a disease. Oh, it sure is. Yeah. So, uh, wait, I'm sorry, so why call me? I know this sounds silly, 
And I know that I might sound ridiculous, like this is the, the scene of the movie where the guy's trying to get a hold of the long lost son, you know, but this is that scene. This is that scene. And I think they have those scenes in movies because they're true, you know, because they really happen. And you gotta believe me, this is really happening. I mean, I can give you my number and you can go check with whoever you gotta check with and call me back, but do not leave me hanging on this. All right, please. I'm just, please. But see, see, this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. It's, yeah, it's interesting you say, what you said about how invested is he is in this family. It's not about him. He's one of the characters where it's not about no, him no, it isn't. and his development, right? He's so invested in another person's life. Um, and he's only the nurse. And it just shows how, I think, sickness and death can just be so consuming, right, of people in its path. Um, and the way Phil takes so much upon himself for this dying man is both like noble and heroic and, and it's also thankless, right? He's kind of just, he gets slapped in the face by Julianne Moore and he's kind of just forgotten at the end, right? He's given a brief thank you. Phil's empathy for Earl makes us care about Earl, makes the audience care more about Earl, I think. Um, it's also troubling, like that he's so involved in this. Yeah. That like, this, is this his entire existence? Like this is what defines him is this yeah. other this other families or this yeah. other person's mortality or their life, even though it's the end of life. He, like there's so much about like what we don't know about yeah. Phil, but, yeah. but I, he's the one I wonder the most about, mm. I think. I mean, they all, they all have, have brilliant character aspects to them that make you go like what's happening behind the scenes or yeah. before. But I think with Phil, I go like, what does he come home to? What happened yeah. before this the most? Yes. Like why, he's crying at the end is so desperate. I think those tears are so layered because it's like he's crying for Earl but he's also perhaps crying for himself and like the frustration he feels. We don't even know why he's so frustrated. It might be because of Earl and, and everything that's gone on, but it could be his own personal stuff going on, yeah. Well, true. and in his line of work, he, he has to say goodbye a lot, Yeah. right? He, another customer. Yeah. And, and even though maybe he's used to it, maybe this one's hitting him harder mm -hmm. than usual, or maybe he's thinking about how I've got to go through this again with my next patient, mm -hmm. uh, who knows? That's that's the way I felt when he's cleaning up the bed. They they take the bodies out, you know, the dog. It took me a while actually to figure out why is the dog dead as well. It's from the pills falling on the floor. Oh yeah. But um, yeah, he has the moment to himself when he's clearing up the bed. And and you're right to be an end of life nurse and to go. I mean, there's got a bit of heart. There's got to be just some hardening of the heart just for your own sense of emotional preservation. But um, he really did put it on the line for him for whatever reason. And taking even the minor bit of taking the second shift, right? He was sort of relieved. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to see this one through. And he was going to be the one to administer the, the liquid morphine, mm -hmm. right? He, he had made that decision. Linda had put that on him, and he was willing to take it. So that, this is a good transition, I think, to another scene we could talk about, Partridge's, Earl Partridge's monologue before he's given the morphine. Um, I thought that was a really awesome scene. That was one of the longest scenes. That monologue is really long. And while he's giving the monologue, I think it's uh, the director cuts to different scenes. He does. Right? He does. While the monologue's happening. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I just found it 
really powerful. I the lines where like he keeps re- repeating are the regret, the regret, and he he then he opens up about how he met his first wife, and he describes her. She was like a doll, yeah. a beautiful porcelain doll, and the hips, the childbearing hips. You know that. Yeah, so, so beautiful. Uh, and I cheated on her over and over and over again because I wanted to be a man and I didn't want her to be a woman, you know, a smart, free person who was something. And I thought those lines were so indicative of, of one of the movie's themes of misogyny, right? And I just thought it was such a powerful scene. The acting was great, and it, it just, in a movie that's just so confusing and chaotic and so many things going on, that was like a s- stabilizing scene with this man confessing on his deathbed. Yeah. Uh, it, and it fills in Frank's backstory, mm-hmm. right? So you get a bit of Frank's backstory from the interview and from Earl, and that's it. And that sets up him coming to the house, right? So you, you don't know exactly what's the truth, but as soon as Earl does that, um, this is the regret you make. You can use that regret for anything you want, right? That whole story, you're like, oh, this is what Frank come from, mm-hmm. came from. Mm-hmm. And then the only other thing that fills it in is um, when Frank talks to his father, his dying father. Yeah, and that's what's so good about this movie. I think like so many of the the different storylines inform the other storylines without you even realizing at first. Like all the storylines are interconnected and and, in informing the other storylines, right? Um, Do you have anything to say about that scene, Jake, the Partridge monologue? Or do you want to move on to another scene? I think it's a good example of a a director, writer, because he he wrote it and directed it. Um, Just really trusting the audience big time that they're going to be okay to, to kind of let that go as long as it did, right? And some might argue that there, that would have been an opportunity to cut, shave a few minutes off this three-hour and eight-minute film. I think that's what it clocks in at. Yeah. But just like so many things in this movie where on their own they would feel like a bit awkward or they just too much, when, when you look at it all together, it just it, it needs to happen. Mm-hmm. It's cathartic and... It's incredible, but also like that performance is amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I, that cannot be I easy to do. Yeah. Like just and he does it. I thought he died so, in real life. Yeah, like it, like you think this guy's literally died. about to pass on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really good. Yeah. Really good. Um, and again, that line that he says applies to some of the other characters, right? Like with uh, Jimmy Gator and how he abused his daughter, right? Uh, similar sort of sentiment about women there. Um, do you want to talk about the TJ? You just brought up TJ Mackey. Do you want to talk about a TJ Mackey scene then? Uh, I have the interview with the reporter as one. But if you want, why, to why don't you? I want to talk about Frank Mackey if you don't mind last. I'm okay, gonna, I want to do okay. that last. Um, so I've got a, a Officer Jim scene, but oh go with sure, it. Officer Jim when he meets Claudia and the music's just blaring. I love that scene. Well, uh, I'll start with that. something a little bit different than if you guys want to go to the other Officer Jim scenes. I loved it when he was in the car, right? So I'll take that little bit. I liked when, and I've got something written here about it. about the date, but um, I think you know in everybody's life 
there's like you need a win, you know, and it it gets so set up with the with the opening personal ad, right? And I had that like. <laughs> Um, my life is very stressful and I hope to have a relationship that is very calm and undemanding and loving. Right. And he's, he's working out like, I mean, I'm in really good shape, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and then he gets into his job. He, he does something great. You know, he finds this kind of dead body and, and, and the perpetrator sort of there yet gets no attention from his peers. Right. Doesn't seem like a good job. He pipes in, but he gets like shut down a little bit, but just kind of carries on with his day. And, and then, so all that stuff with Claudia is really great. But when he's in this car and he's feeling happy, I, I wrote, yeah, okay, well, that is what I wait for, right? <laughs> I wait for those calls and I wait and I pray. And sometimes Jesus says, Jim, I got a surprise for you today. <laughs> I want you to meet this young lady, okay? Now where it goes from there is up to you. And I don't think you're going to screw it up. And he's just this monologue and you're just so happy for him, right? Because you're like, don't go down the stairs, knock on the door, go for it, brother. And, uh, and I love the self-talk. He's got yeah. a couple of self-talk monologues, but I just, I just love that where, you know, good for you, good for you. So that was a little bit of a fast forward because I'm going to rewind now to when he meets Claudia yeah. and uh, the music's blaring and she's like, I'm coming, I'm coming. And he's like, uh, open up, I'm going to break in. And uh, yeah, do you want to talk about that scene at all? Well, I I didn't actually think about it until until now that you brought it up, like because I think it's it's another reminder of what P.T. Anderson does, which is just he just takes something that's difficult or uncomfortable for the audience, whether it's like subject matter or just the way a scene is shot, whether it's something that we're seeing, like the partridge, just the the slow death of this man um, in that agonizing monologue, or like the music scene, like it's actually like like. Um, sensory wise it's uncomfortable to watch mm -hmm. that scene like i had mm -hmm. to turn the volume down on the tv mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on the headphones because you're just like you're also having to endure what it's like to like listen to someone who's got the music up yeah. way too loud you're distracted and he just lets it he just keeps going it keeps going yeah. to the point where you really do feel that tension and that like just john c Riley, whatever he, what does he finally say like just could you turn the music down yeah. could you just you're turn gonna, it down you're gonna hurt your ears <laughs> you're gonna hurt, yeah he's so concerned <laughs> it's just he's such a good man um, but, but yeah, I just, again, like he, he really doesn't just think about, okay, what do I need to tell in this story right now? But actually, how do I want the audience to feel in this moment? And he's, yeah. it's just so, it's just so effective and it, sh it shouldn't be, it should be like, no, you did too much. You went too far, but it, it works. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, the scene in Boogie Nights with Alfred Molina. Um, and he's playing the music really loud while Mark Wahlberg and John C. Is it John Cirelli? Yeah, they, they go to the house for the drug deal and they try to sell like fake cocaine. And the music's mm -hmm. just, and the guys, mm -hmm. there's a guy lighting firecrackers in the background. And it's just like this sensory overload. Uh, and it's the same, same director does that, right? But yeah. Well, yeah, think about the, uh, when, the, when the oil well is on fire and there will be blood. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just pure, like it's visual, but it's also audio chaos. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to listen to because mm -hmm. you're actually, it feels like you're there and it's not, it's not the best vibe yeah. being there. And it yeah. goes on for minutes. Yeah. There's an extra pause on him. So the door opens, he sees Claudia, and there's that extra moment. Oh, yeah. On, uh, on John C. Riley and the nightstick not getting in the holster and falling yeah. and falling down the stairs. And he, I didn't catch it at first and, or like all those years ago, but it's, oh, he, he kind of missed it. And then when the, at the end of that day, I mean, the coffee scene is funny and I all don't that. like the tuck shop over coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, so I see you're yeah. brewing a pot. Like the soft sell is so poorly done. 
and then when he leaves and he stops on the stairwell and they're both kind of waiting there and he stops and then the radio goes off and then he comes in there and he's struggling because he's also such a rule follower. Yeah. So he's like, I shouldn't, as I came here as an officer of the law and, you know, blah, blah, you know. If, if we're up for talking about another scene, the Stanley peeing on the game show is one of my favorite scenes. Um, but is, is there any other ones? I'm, I'm going to go to Frank, but if you want to talk about... Okay. Yeah. Uh, Stanley peeing on the game show, I, I think, is one of the standout scenes, and I'm going to fight for this one, because I think it was very climactic, first of all, right? Like That was the, a peak point of humiliation for such a vulnerable, innocent kid who's being exploited throughout the entire film, right? He, he has very little agency in the movie. It's just removed by all the adults, which is, again, another theme in the film. Vulnerable, innocent people uh, and their agency being removed through like abuse and things like that, right? Uh, T.J. Mackey is another example of that as a kid, right? Uh, having, to do, having to experience that. Uh, Donnie, the, 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 qui- the, the quiz kid, as a kid, was exploited by his parents. Um, so Stanley peeing on the game show, I thought it was just a climactic point. It was a peak point that really just showed that humiliation of it. Um, But I like the scene not just because it showed that, but I thought that it was actually quite a layered scene because in the background you have Jimmy Gator who is struggling with his own demons. The fact that he is an alcoholic, uh, uh, someone who has inflicted abuse on his own daughter and has just found out he has had cancer and he's running this show. So he's kind of spaced out in the background while Stanley's peeing himself. And I just thought that the way that scene is all orchestrated was just such an awesome climax in the film. So that, that, that's reason that I have it as a standout scene. But Yeah, it's like an ultimate worst day yeah. for a couple of characters. Yeah. Like just, just all the things that could go wrong are just are happening all yeah. at once. And you're realizing like that things are not going to go back to being the same. Yeah. Stanley the man. I don't know the answer. Uh, That is not right. That's not right, Stanley. The correct answer is Ravel. Ravel. Uh, Now I'm going to have our our three whistlers um, pleased to present the the next um, musical. There were three uh, musical sections here. And this will be the third, the third section that the whistlers, um, and, and they'll play a piece that's, it's very recognizable. It's uh, Chopin, actually, and uh, it's it was taken. It, it, it's in the style of March, March Militaire. It's a very recognizable piece. So if you please just listen to this, and, and I'm sure you can. I well here I go again right and I'm sorry about this. I I didn't I didn't like it right I didn't like the game show stuff and I hope that's okay. Uh, it it just was one of those you know can't can't you manage it you know you're, you're sort of two days away from the record. You're uh, <laughs> <laughs> like one of the adults no, and, working on the show and <laughs> and I get maybe it's sort of like a sign of protest. I actually like that he doesn't go up for the final round. I appreciate that more where he says, why do I have to go up? Why can't someone else go up? And I, I he peed himself. Yeah, I, <laughs> I bought into that. And I said, you know, listen, you two other people, um, 
why don't you go up as well? Like, you know, try to carry some yeah, weight yeah. here. Yeah, no, for sure. I'll, I'll make a quick point here. Another gun to a knife fight I had quickly is Luis. Well, we're getting to the gun. Yeah, as, as Luis, one of the adult, um, one of the adult contestants that that really kind of goes after these kids. But um, just like Stanley and the father, especially Jimmy Gator, uh, I liked it. I, I mean, I liked everything surrounding the scene, like the, the tracking shots that introed you. I liked the people that handled. Uh, the machine that handled that sort of like game show thing. So I, I love the people in the background that were just like, you know, cut to the card, cut to the card, you know, they all, and they go on their little microphone. But um, yeah, I, I, I sort of feel like Stanley should have managed it better. I'm sorry, Charlie. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. But it led to him saying, I don't want to go up, which is yeah. all part of that scene, right? He's, I, I don't want to go up. I, I don't want to go up. And it's because he peed himself, mm-hmm. right? Or is it because he wants to protest? Is it because he peed himself or is he protesting? Like, it's both, maybe? I mean, like, the classic, like, you know, Psych 101 answer would just be, like, this is this is this person's only way to take back some power yes. and some control in his life yeah. where he's a pawn. Right? Yeah. And he's just tired of it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, had it. that's why I like that scene and all of that accumulate, accumulates to that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that... Those uh, we talked about the officer Jim meeting Claudia and in the car as well. That part, uh, the partridge monologue, Stanley peeing himself, and the did we wa- talk about any Donnie scenes the, in, with the old man? I guess if we want to, yeah, talk maybe about that. maybe a little bit earlier on. Um, and then you want to talk about a Mackie scene. I, I, I mean, I've got Frank Mackie lined up here. Um, he's, I've got my ICBMs and everything else (laughs) (laughs) pointed, ready to go. But, uh, do one of you want to, I I don't, I I could go on, but do one of you have, do you want to talk about the Donnie, uh, and the old man at the bar? I just like the character in general, how he's, how it's handled. Like I basically, whenever he's on camera, I'm like, what's going to happen now? Like what, (laughs) he's going to blow it. How is he going to blow it? You know, something just the worst scenario is going to happen here. Or maybe, maybe there'll be redemption. But like I, it definitely did a, a really good job of kind of me going, okay, like what's about to happen to William yeah. H Macy's yeah. character next? Yeah. But yeah, um, but talk I, about just the, going the, into that, that bar, going into that bar, mm-hmm. uh, that old uh, classic American bar, and um, you you see that oh he's in love with this bartender and he's just so desperate and yeah. he sees yeah. his he sees his uh, at his adversary is the. Uh, this old man sitting on the bar who's who has more money than uh, him, and that's his competition. I'm sick. I'm sick here now. I confuse melancholy with depression sometimes. Mm-hmm. You see. Why don't you run along now, friend? Your dessert is getting cold. I'm sick. Stay that way. I'm sick and I'm in love. You seem the sort of person who confuses the two. That's right. That's the first time you've been right. I confuse the two, and I don't care. Hey. Hey! I love you. I, I love you, and I, I'm, I'm sick. I'll, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. I'm getting corrective oral surgery tomorrow for my teeth. I love you, Brad. Brad, the bartender, you want to love me back? I'll be good to you. I'll be goddamn good for you. I won't be mad if you don't know who said what. 
will punish Brad, you if you get the answer honey, wrong. I can teach and tell I have you. a special Samuel secret Johnson. crush over there, I think. Don't you him too lovely. You might get up. hurt. Mind your own business. Gently, son. Brad, I know you don't love me now. It's a dangerous thing to confuse children with angels. And no, it is not dangerous to confuse children with angels. It's actually just it's hilarious. It's so the, funny. The thought that like how, like how many things must you have going a little bit not quite right in life to yeah. think that oh that's the ticket I got to get some braces. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that's that's gonna solve it. Yeah. yeah. And and it it's it's so, uh, it's it's supposed to be pathetic, right? I think William H Macy always plays a pathetic character. Uh, yeah, and, he's not often winning. Yeah. And in the movies he's just, in. It was just perfect. And yeah. I thought it was just, he's so desperate. And he's saying, I have love to give. And he's like just bearing his soul to his uh, opposition, to his competition. And the guy's just looking at him and saying, you're just a spoke in the wheel, a friend of the family. And he's like, what's that supposed to mean? He's like, you know, like, basically that you don't matter. That, yeah, that's what he's yeah. telling him. Even yeah. when he's successfully pulled off like a safe robbery, he still finds a way to blow it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you know, pulling the fishtail, you yeah. turn, and then he snaps off the key. Yeah. 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 And he's basically like shit on as a child, right? And, and he mm-hmm. says, that scars and hurts. And it's like a super close-up of him when he's saying that. It's like, there's not many close-ups in this movie. And then there's a super close-up of William H. Macy's character as he's talking about the pain of what it was like to be this child star exploited. And it's just, it's, it should seem unnatural that he's just opening up. All of a sudden, this sounds like expository dialogue because he's just opening up to some strangers. But it's not. It feels like, no, this guy's desperate and drunk off Coke because he drank like Diet Coke, I think. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't think he orders like an alcoholic drink. He's still a kid in a way, like an arrested development, getting braces. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know, I just, I, I liked that scene. You feel so bad for him. Um, Chris, you look like you yeah. want to jump in. I, I just wanted to say my favorite part about him um, is I loved how he didn't need oral surgery. And then when he falls from yes. the pipe, he like clearly does now. <laughs> yeah, he needs like emergency <laughs> He, he oral now surgery. needs oral surgery yeah. after when he when he yeah. falls off, when, he, when he's trying to return the money. It's universal, man. It is evolutional. It is anthropological. It is biological. It is animal. We are. Well, wait a minute. Before we talk about TJ Mackey, like, I just want to know, how are we going to navigate this? How do you talk about TJ Mackey on a, a supposedly clean podcast? Like, what are we, how are we going to substitute words for words? I can't wait to see how Chris juggles this. So, um, Charlie, if you don't want, you seem to indicate the hill you're going to die on is the Stanley P. I, I don't know now. Or, After yeah. I've talked about these scenes, I'm like, hmm, uh, maybe we, the Donnie scene. The, we the, talked about it, Chris. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the hill... <laughs> The hill that I'm going to die on is um, when Frank breaks down in, fr- in front of his father. And I think th- there's, um, there's a setup. First of all, like his seduce and destroy, just the whole like marketing of this kind of like 
terrible dating practices that he's <laughs> that he's like selling to these um, to these insecure men, right? And but it comes from a place of like self-defense. It's a funny thing that this is an important element of seduce and destroy. Facing the past is an important way of not making progress. This is something I tell my men over and over and over. He's taking that testimony testimonial from Jeff, right? Who's talking about Denise, and he goes, uh, "You think she's your friend, Jeff?" You come here and you think she's your friend. They're not your friends. Do you think she's really going to be there when things go bad? Huh, guys? And this feeling of abandonment. And then he switches to uh-huh. uh, to the macho guy. Oh, you think again. And then he's like, Denise, Denise the peace. And then he does that. You're going to give me that cherry pie, sweet mama baby. <laughs> right? So he kind of <laughs> he kind of ends off on that. Because I have my lasers. I have my tasers, I have my ICBMs, I have my bazookas, I have my jets pointed right at you. Um, when Frank goes to see uh, Earl and his, I think his first line is, or something, something along those lines, his first line is, she waited for your call. And if we did, what's my favorite line, that would be it. It would be, she waited for your call, uh, for you to come. And then he breaks, right? I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry for you. And then he and then he breaks. And then and that's Tom Cruise doing his thing. I wrote all the things that Frank Mankey has done to deal with his father leaving, and then seeing his mother die. Um, he rationalizes it by becoming his father mm-hmm. in a weird way, like to protect myself. I should be like my father. I should have left. Right, and I I don't ever want to feel this again. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to develop these skills just to use women and for me to be in control. Mm-hmm. Uh, he became a player, and then I think as much as it is about making a living, I think he's trying to do something noble in then teaching other men this thing as a way to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Right, and and you get that a little bit in the interview where he says seduce is not just about picking up women; it's like taking control of your life, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is weirdly some sincerity in what he's doing, even though what he's doing is terrible, mm-hmm. right? Like it's just like the strategies and stuff, you know, how to fake like you're, in, you know, form a tragedy, right? Is one of the placards. <laughs> how to fake like you are a nice and caring person? Is that you know? page twenty three? Yeah, <laughs> that's in the blue book or the white book. Like I don't and he know. Tosses the yeah. chair and says. I made a mistake. It was page yeah. 22. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Remember? Well, the start of him yeah. cracking, right? And the yeah. interviewee or the interviewer like unravels him, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That coupled with the phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Phil. He's the, he's the nurse of your dad. He's the real deal. Like the address checks out, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. But his, when he breaks in front of that and-, and He does turn he, at the end, right? Yeah. He, he cares at the end. He, you hear him say a line in the hospital, is she going to be okay? Yeah. And he's worried about- his dad's his his dad's uh, yeah. a new wife, right? He, he and why the, should he care about her? But he does. He mm-hmm, says, "Is she gonna mm-hmm. be?" He goes and visits her at the at the hospital. Yeah, right? he and he and Linda. One of my what ifs is like, well, he and Linda kind of become friends after this. Yeah, like she didn't, ha- he Closer didn't have closer to each other's go. age, actually. Yeah. But um, that that would be it. It's or him, will he seduce him breaking him down and and <laughs> she Mackie settles down with Linda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So those are five or six scenes. What is the best scene? There's the Donnie and the old man at the bar, the Officer Jim meeting Claudia and getting the win. There is uh, TJ Mackey uh, going to see his dad. 
There's Stanley, not just peeing on the game show, but also then refusing to, to get up. And there is the Partridge monologue that, that hits home the theme. I can't believe we didn't talk about Wise Up or the Raining Frogs. That's like, but we can talk about it later. Anyway, in, Wait, in other contexts. For best scenes? Yeah. Can, can I, oh, those well, are the scenes we talked about. Can I can jump I into that? Oh. Yeah. Because like, yeah. I don't think they're best scenes. Like that. Okay. That's my opinion. But like, okay. I, I, that, that's that what we've been good. talking about the entire time. What's your best scene then? Let's hear some best scenes. No, I didn't. I give mine. I thought I thought I gave mine, and they ended up being just a series of really good edits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and then I, and then I agreed with a lot of your guys' yeah, scenes. Yeah. But I just what I'm saying is I actually oh you know I, the, you I, don't see the frogs. No, I, I wouldn't oh, okay, have nominated so, yeah, yeah. the frogs or okay. Wise Up okay, yeah, as yeah. best scenes. Okay, I, I, yeah. I misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. So of those five or six that I just listed, what, what do you guys think is the best? We got to pick a winner. I don't know if we're gonna have a consensus here, but my pick, I think, I can't pick. You, you got to go first. I can't pick. I I almost wish I could be moved, but I can't. And that is when Frank finally sits down um, beside his bed and starts off. Like, okay. I just, every it gets to that moment and it, it is so, everything wonderfully comes together at mm. that where, he, you know, he's waiting at the door. I'm going to drop kick these dogs. Yeah, and, then, so good and then he sits and fills in the background. Uh, the morphine drops have been, you know, given. Yeah. You know, it's just a matter of time now. All the back, all the interview, uh, the Earl Partridge monologue, it all comes down to this moment. The, the and, tragic irony of that is that the morphine drops have been put in. So yeah. he's not taking in anything of what Frank's yeah. saying. Except probably right. a real, I mean, there is a brief moment where he's not taking anything that yeah. you're saying. I agree, but it's like my son is here. Right. And after he's like, she waited for your call. It's like, he says, don't go away. And and you wonder if he hates his father so much. Why is he actually there? Well, he, yeah, he, and and he loves and hates his father mm. still. Just uh, Which one? just for um, for all the listeners, all all of them. Uh, <laughs> we we I just thought thank we you quickly. Yes, yeah, so you guys are the best. Uh, we should just quickly reiterate. Like, what are the what are the scenes? Because I've already forgotten. Okay, <laughs> so I'm imagining one or two Donnie and the old there. man. Donnie yeah. and the old man okay. in the bar. Jim, Officer Jim, meeting Claudia. Uh, T.J. Mackey at uh, meeting uh, his dad uh, on the deathbed. Um, Stanley on the game show peeing and then refusing to get up to uh, for the final round. Uh, Earl Partridge's monologue to Phil um, before he's given the morphine. Yeah, I'm with Chris on this one. I really think it's 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 a huge payoff moment. It's it's what you're wondering the whole movie. I mean, you're wondering a lot of things in this yeah. movie, but you really want to know like is it possible that there's a there's a soul in yeah. there? Yeah. You know, is this guy really as um as tough okay, okay. and as like untouchable as he yeah. as he conveys and, and you kind of think it's got it's got to pay off, but you're still not sure. I, I, yeah, I can agree. You know? I think in it's that... meant to be that. Yes. Yeah. I I I think the Partridge monologue beats it though. I really like that one more. Uh, but no, I see how see, the Mackie seems I'm, meant to do that. I'm not as invested Just, in Partridge, though, as a character. I'm impressed with his performance. Uh, I know he's a huge piece of the story. And, and like, I, I love what it what it does. And it, it, I'm not taking anything away from, from that actor and that, that part of the story. But I, I, I'm following the TJ Mackie story from the first time we see him on stage. We get to know who he is. We wonder, like, what's happening. We start to get context. And then it's, the, it's this, this moment. I was there. She waited. 
for your call. For you to come. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry for you. Climactic I, I wonder moment. if that's because it's Tom Cruise and we just, you know, we see him as yeah. the leading man all the time. Who who, who else was uh, auditioned for that part? Do we know? Was it was it him from the start? I'd be interested to know who else. Yeah, it or, was always going to be Cruise. Yeah, I, th- I think it was uh, him from the start. From from just my quick reading, it was um, Tom Cruise saw Boogie Nights and he asked P.T. Anderson to write um, to write a, a character for him. And at first, when P.T. Anderson said, hey, I want you to do Frank Mackey, Tom Cruise was like, is this too much for me? But he had just done Eyes Wide Shut, which was such a repressed role that he went into this. And he's like, oh, okay. He got nominated for this. Yeah, Best he, supporting he got actor. nominated. And he, then, but he didn't win. No. no. Yeah. Best supporting actor was his nominee, yeah, for this. Um, can I just run okay, another it quickly? Wins. It wins. Let's move on to the next category. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's, it, in, in terms of monologues, the not a great scene, but I still love it, is the John C. Riley ending monologue, yeah. right? When he's walking with Donnie yeah. and he's just the, yes. um, sometimes people need a little help. Sometimes people need to forgive him, and yeah. sometimes they need to go to jail. And I, I really, I mean, Earl Partridge beats that out, but I like that John C. Riley. Well, it was the, it's the, the sunny side of these monologues, it's right? Right, yeah. and and the movie does have that empathy uh, piece with yes, all the characters. Yes. Really, they all start feeling empathy for each other in one way or another. We feel empathy for all these characters, despite how flawed they are. Um, so the next thing here is best storyline of all of the eight characters. If they were just single storylines and we didn't see all the other ones. Uh, who, do you have one or two that is your favorite? I already know Chris is going to say T.J. Mackey <laughs> and John C. Riley. Okay, I, yeah. I'm going. I'm going with uh, Malorca Walters, uh, whose character's name is. Is that Claudia? Claudia. Claudia. I've never seen this actor before. Yeah. And and that's not because she hasn't been in other things. I just I sometimes you don't recognize people, um, and and it, it might be that you guys have seen her in other things and, or since then. I feel like this is this is the movie I know her from. Yeah. And she was so in- incredible, like her performance, but also just her story, like where where we meet her, and like where she goes to, and y- you almost you almost think it's it's gonna completely crumble and fall mm-hmm. apart, and then there's a second opportunity, um, and I'm I'm just cheering for her the whole yeah. time. You just hope there's a way that this somebody can pick things up. Yeah, but I wonder if as P. T. Anderson being um, limited in his perspective as a man he writes her less as a protagonist and more as a side character to Officer Jim's uh, story. Yeah, I think right? there's there's a lot yeah. of truth to that. Yeah. But I, again, I wasn't, I'm not really going to go on, take the angle of like, is this the right way to write a female character or to give her as much agency? I just, I think the question was like, 
which storyline were you yeah, most no, that's, connected that's, to? And I, I just really wanted to know what was going to happen with her. Then that is it going to be lot. a full-on tragedy or is there going to be um, some reason for celebration or that she's going to evolve or get out of this? And I just, I don't know why I cared about all, all of them, but I just really wanted to see yeah. w- what was going to be the, the key for her. Is well, she going to find a ticket? I think that's so cool that you saw her as a character and who had a story in and of herself because it... it when I watched it, I was wondering about that. I'm like, Ooh, she's framed kind of like as a side character to someone else's story, but she herself has her own story. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, you say Mackie, you say Claudia. Can uh, I just con- can I comment on sure. Claudia? I, I really appreciated Claudia as well. Um, she's someone that's been used and only knows how to be used in order to get what she wants. Like, mm-hmm. So she's a- addicted to drugs. And... So that's what she does. She goes to bars and then she sleeps with guys and and she makes sure it's that type of guy that will that will help her buy drugs. Yeah. And it's um what I liked was the date scene between the two of them because she's just rushing to get all this honesty out. Mhm. I wanted to do that. Well, that felt good to do to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Yeah, of course. I'm really nervous that you're going to hate me soon. You're going to find stuff out about me and you're going to hate me. No, like what? What do you mean? You have so much, so many good things, and you seem so together. You're a police officer, and you seem so straight and put together without any problems. I lost my gun today. What? I lost my gun today when I left you, and I'm the laughing stock of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Right, and she's like, "Listen, I, I think we should just be honest with her." And at the same time, she doesn't know how to navigate. Like, one, I don't think I've ever felt this way about a guy. I think there's a genuine attraction between her and and Officer Jim. And then here's this guy who doesn't really want anything from me, right? In yeah. what I've known before, and just really wants to get to know. Yeah. Me. And he starts, you know, I'll take everything at face value, that kind of stuff. And then she <laughs> she she knows she's going to get hurt. Listen, I don't want to invest too much into this because as soon as you find out. What I'm really like, you're just going to leave and I'm going to get hurt. Yeah. So I'm going to leave right now. And it's heartbreaking, right? Yeah. Like it's heartbreaking that well, for Jim. And I love that the movie ends with Jim coming to see her. It's like, no, let me tell you, yeah. we're, we're going to give this a shot. And I hope you're okay with that. Yeah. Well, I, and that, that also contributes mm-hmm. to Officer Jim's character too uh, and his art. Because he starts off as like kind of like this condescending, like judgmental police officer who talks to everyone like they're children. Right? <laughs> and... um but at the end, you wonder, okay, he actually does care for her, and this relationship may work. But then the realist in me is thinking now that would it work? Or once he finds out she's a drug dealer, or drug dealer, a drug user, is he going to be like, okay, I can't do this? Like, is she going to be able to quit? Like, she has a lot of trauma and is addicted to cocaine and just can't have any normal conversations the entire film doesn't have a normal conversation is yeah. it going to work well it's kind of funny how she's she's kind of the opposite of what he asked for in his ad right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's That's not true <laughs> it's true it's, it's not, not, not going to be quiet at no, all no no looking for stability and <laughs> all the things cocaine <laughs> offers um that's kind of funny yeah but uh, but i i, I also i, w- I want to go back to your point about like the way that he he can kind of talk to people like like as if they're children a bit, but then to to, to his credit, to his character's credit in this, you know, he's not given a lot to work with. No. Like he first meets Marcy, <laughs> okay, <laughs> like <laughs> screaming. Yeah, that's Marcy. right. Yeah, 
if that couch moves any further, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's 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 got a pretty pretty tough go with the yeah. people that he, you know the yeah. house calls he gets. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be interesting to sort of see like if you were to look at it over the course of a year in his career, how yeah. how does he generally talk to other people? Yeah. Well, remember the the kid, the little boy was rapping, trying to tell him the truth, trying to reveal the bigger picture, and in, in this cryptic rap, he just ignores right. him. Right? He just ignores him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, but. But yeah, you were gonna say. You I, I had one say. quick question, and I don't. I don't want to join on this, but I. I sort of thought, wouldn't Officer Jim tell? Can't can't he tell that she's high right now? Yeah. Right. Like if he's he knows if he if he's I don't think he he's written as if he knows, but I'm like, wouldn't an officer know that? I mean, she's she's snorting up like mid conversation <laughs> that kind of stuff. I'll be right back. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's not like it was the night before. No. Yeah. It's not the come down or anything. Like she's she's still in the game. Um, but, and I just love how technical he is, right? And it, the one I do love about him is that it's, it's a little bit about authority, but it's more like he really tries to convince people that this is not the right way to go. So he's not saying turn down that music because I'm in charge. It's turn down that music because it's going to damage your yeah. ears. He's and sincere. It's going to bother your neighbors, yeah. right? And uh, I, I, I love that kind of angle. Like, don't you know this is going to hurt your ears and yeah. wouldn't you want yeah. that to stop, right? Yeah. So you shouldn't listen to your music louder. Yeah, he really thinks mm -hmm. that he's helping people. He yeah. sincerely believes that, right? So he is the guy yeah. for her, maybe, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so the people I have, or best storylines I have, it's Officer Jim and Phil Parma, the nurse. Those are As best, story, best storylines? Yeah, yeah, best arcs. They're, they're my mm -hmm. favorite. Phil, Phil and Officer Jim. Um, okay. Yeah, we don't have to vote on that. We all had different ones. That's fine. Uh, gun to a knife fight. You've already alluded to a few. Um, I, I talked about... Phil Parma earlier, so I'm done. That's my gun to a knife fight. But you, you guys have any? Chris, you, uh, got, so you got a few. I, I wrote a couple, and and it's hard. I mean, there's a lot of side characters, but I wrote. Um, I don't know whether this qualifies, but Earl Partridge to a degree, um, the rapper kid, in the beginning, he has a couple of key scenes in there. Uh, he saves Linda, right, and mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. after he takes all her money, uh, and kind of <laughs> takes the gun, and I could really tell you know, watching it this time, like the whole Alonzo, the worm story was cut, right? There was one more story in there between Marcy, the worm, and the kid that, that didn't really see itself to fruition. I, I, I Googled that. It, it, there was a whole deleted, yeah, uh, deleted part of the script. And I, I sort of do want, because he takes the gun when Jim slips in the rain, this rapper kid, and then I'm like, well, how does the gym just, how does the gun just like sort of fall by the gas station? I wrote, um, to an except the father of the kid, what's the name of the father of Stanley? Do you know? Oh, I don't remember. No, I can't recall, man. Yeah. Yeah, the rich, um, the rich guy at the bar that Donnie can't beat. And I loved how calm he was. Like, so here's this other guy clearly sort of weirded out, and he just tosses him aside with these, he doesn't really get phased at all. Um, the kids on the game show with Stanley and then Luis at Stanley. <laughs> so the Luis, the, the adult uh, contestant. So the, do you have any yeah. performances that you thought were uh, awesome and despite being small roles? Well, I, I don't know if it, if it's, um, if this qualifies as a small role, like I don't know what the cutoff would be, but, um, and I can't, I can't recall the actress's name. Um, and again, like t true to, true to our podcast philosophy, we're not, we're not a, a wiki article on every movie. Right. So I, I think I'm going to give myself a pass that I don't have all the, uh, the info here, Yeah. but the, the interviewer for Tom Cruise, mm. like for, 
uh, for TJ Mackey. Do you know? Does any? Yep. Do you guys know her name? No. Yeah. Okay. But what 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 made a her great choice? Great choice. Well, yeah. I mean, like, well, just imagine trying to to be in those scenes, like with with Tom Cruise. I sort of imagine Tom Cruise getting hyped for those scenes the same way. Like, if you've seen the behind the scenes stuff of Jack Nicholson getting ready for Jack Torrance in The Shining, like when he when he has to get like pumped up for those like massive moment scenes, it's just crazy because yeah. you go like, well, that, that must happen all the time, but. But to see these iconic moments yeah. in film with these That's amazing, larger-than-life actors, and then you go like, "Man, what's it like to be opposite that character in that scene?" Mm-hmm. And, and 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 again, like she's she's your classic like the straight man allows the funny man to be even funnier yeah right? like the way she holds it so even keeled mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that's like that's no small feat for any actor to be able to be in that scene and make it work and i think she nails it cool see it's my understanding that the information supplied by you and your company and the answers to the questions that i've asked is incorrect frank and, and if i want to get to the bottom of who you are and why you are then i think that your family history your actual family history well this is important what is your question well i guess my question's this why would you lie, Frank? I like that. She entraps him, and she knows she's going to do that right from the moment she walks in. She's going to let him say his spiel, like dig his own grave, and then she's going to pull out the, well, do you know who Miss Sims is? Yeah. Right? And, yeah, yeah, and I think, like, Chris and I are, are commenting, like, I, I think Chris agrees with, with, my, with my, um, my, my vote on that one. But he's, he's, he's more discussing like the the writing for that character mm-hmm, and how like mm-hmm. anderson handled that which is i mean it's are, are they the same thing like when we talk about gun to the knife fight are we also kind of giving credit to the way that character the was character written or the, or the performance right yeah. but it's it's a bit of both and in this case um i think it's just it's really well handled and it, and it yeah. could have been just kind of an ordinary performance or just sort of like done the job but like she was like up to the task yeah right and that's that's tough. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good question. Are we looking at the character or the actor's performance? I'd be more interested in who you guys think was the best performance for an actor in a small role. So she still fits that bill. Hmm. Uh, and you named a whole bunch. Can you pick one? Uh, I would go the rich guy at the bar yeah. that How Donnie come? can't beat. How come? Because I, I, in this case, I think the performance is more than the line. He's given these lines to slough off Donnie, but the lines really work. Like he, he really is like, he knows himself. He's utterly confident and pathetic and totally fine with that. And I'm just going to bribe Brad to come and talk to me. Like there's nothing going to come out of it, but he's, he's just fully rationalized. Like this is it. And this is me. But the, the actor and, himself. Like, yeah. The, yeah. And I think he exudes it more. I, I was going to, I'm so close. I really like the, the, the interview, the person who interviews Tom Cruise, but is that more the line and the way that it's or written, while I, I think there's there's a little bit more of the guy at the bar with his performance because the lines are just hmm. like they're just so smooth. What about Brad with his braces? <laughs> that guy had to get that guy had to get braces for the role. <laughs> um, he's committed, man. You know, okay. my, my vote is not for Brad. <laughs> um, Let's move to uh, best one-two punch. Jake, this is a new category. Do you want to explain it a little bit? Uh, one-two punch is it's, it's basically the editing award, right? I mean, well, it's director yeah. slash editor, right? Because, I mean, we're assuming the director drew up the shot list and decided, like, which scenes would go 
with with which which scenes would go together essentially as you as you move through the storyline uh, but then also the way they're cut is going to come down to the editor. Um, and we've talked about this before, right? Just like how much latitude an editor is given versus how much the director is kind of like got one hand on the mouse, so to speak. I, there's, so, there's so much in this film that was just handled so brilliantly. I mean, even if you start with the opening, um, like several one-two punches, like one, two, three, four, five, you know, up to 30 punches <laughs> with the, with the steady cam, right? Yeah. Like that's like, that's like a steady cam workshop where yeah. they're literally, you've just got Anderson or, or his camera operator, or both of them just walking us through these different people's yeah. lives. And, and like then he that, swings over. And he swings left. over, right? It's just, it's, it's just like another like, scene. Totally. Like these, these huge sort of like swish pans and yeah, then just cool. more steady cam and another character. I mean, those are, those are all awesome as a series. Um, but the one-two punch that I think I mentioned earlier that I really loved was just Stanley uh, as he starts to break into song, and I think it's a Carmen opera, right? Yeah. And then that and that cuts to that that opera playing while John C. Riley and Marco Walters are having having their date, having coffee. I think, right? It's just it's just fantastic. Well, that was in French, and that was from the opera Carmen, and that goes. L'amour est un vaisseau rebelle que nous ne pouvons plus froisser. Et c'est moins avant qu'on l'appelle, celui qu'on vient de refuser. See, you got some coffee brewing here. Yeah, it's not. <coughs> it's been on for a bit. See, I like iced coffee generally. But uh, they like today, you know, with the rain and whatnot. I enjoy a warm cup. Do you want to come? Is that all right? Just raining cats and dogs out there. I'd just as soon not go back in it. <laughs> I, I don't know how fresh it's going to be. Uh, I'm sure it's fine, Claudia. Do you, um, do you take, um, cream or sugar? That'd be fine. Um, so, Claudia, let me just say, so I can get my role as an LAPD officer out of the way here, so before we enjoy our coffee, I don't like to talk shop over coffee. Yeah. I, I love, I love that moment. I also love, uh, the first time we meet TJ Mackey, right? When you go from the scene, I think we're at Earl Partridge, right? Mm -hmm. and, and we're just in, like, this totally quiet, sort of sad, dark situation, and then we get the 2001 Space Odyssey piece coming in, and that and that brings us into the first time we meet him. Yeah, did I you mean, guys notice that the scene uh, of Partridge in the bedroom looks like the 2001 Space Odyssey scene and the bedroom oh, scene at the end of the film? I did not notice. And then it has the music, and then it yeah. cuts to Mackie. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's no, right. Like the Didn't bedroom looked together. like the 2001 bedroom, in a way. Like Mid-century. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hats off to Kubrick. Yeah. But I, um, I love that scene. Like, what a great way to introduce that character yeah. and just to cut from that, you know, dying father yeah. on the bed. He's just like... Right to... Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Chris. Um, so I wrote... I don't know what's it called, Jake. You can... But like that 90 punch. degree pan oh. and cut to the other character. I love those. Okay. What's, yeah, what's yeah. that called? Is that uh, something? Like, he's just like swinging the camera 90 yeah. degrees and then it cuts to another character then yeah. it swings again. Mm -hmm. um, just like a... Uh, like a swish pan, basically. Yeah. Like you're using the yeah. movement, the blurring of the panning to kind of hide the edit. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know the term. I yeah. Totally uh, so I, I'd go that. It's not. It's a little bit past the intro, 
but it's somewhere in there. I feel like it's like just past the hour mark. Um, I, uh, tracking shots are always a win. So the intro to the game show environment, right, where you're just following these characters around some hallways, you know, right from Stanley and the father like arriving and then it, it follows somebody else and then it kind of follows Jimmy Gator at some point. But I was just thinking this right now and I'll throw this in. The frog flying from the sky mm. that drops through the skylight that prevents Jimmy Gator from killing himself, but the gun still goes off. It hits the television. It shorts it out and actually starts a fire, right? Which do- it doesn't get to that scene, but just that whole frog flying. It's just, there is actually a, a moment of like felt weightlessness as you see this frog yeah, falling weird, down. Because the sound cuts off, everything cuts off. Yeah, music. and you go, will it? Is this? Yeah. And you just love that sort of clever little bit of coincidence where it's going to drop. And in one of those, you know, one of those questions I had after, I go, is this cruel or merciful to Jimmy Gator stopping him? I have something to say about that. Yeah, something to kill himself. But I love that cut where it's just like, you know, boom, hit, shot, you know, TV shorts, you know, smoke comes out of the electrical outlet. And then I think there's just an overhead shot of him lying there with kind of like blood around him, but he didn't quite shoot himself. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would be my... One two um, punch. My one two punch. It's kind of a callback to the opening scene of the suicide, right? The jump. Oh yeah. Right? The character who falls from yes. the sky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um doesn't take out the frog in this case, but yeah, like yeah. the urban legend. Sort of, of, yeah. yeah, there's definitely some like something keeping like the guy wants to kill himself in the beginning and he isn't able to, someone kills him because the, yeah. the shot. Well he killed himself because like, he loaded the weapon. Yeah. Uh, to an extent. Oh, yeah, right. But right. in in the first case he, he dies when he would have been saved. And in this case, he lives where he would have died. Yes. Unless oh, he, and the, unless and he the, dies the, from the, the fire. The, 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 the transition technique is a, is a whip pan. Sorry, that was bugging okay. me. Okay, whip pan, <laughs> whip pan. That's whip. what I mean, I, whip pan. I have a few one-two punches. Um, I really like this category, Jake. Uh, the one-two punch? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. The, I've, got a, I've got my own podcast, The One-Two Punch. <laughs> you should check it out. Oh, something. Um, Not the, a real the, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the, the transition from the setup of the game show to when the show eventually starts, okay? So the music uh, change is really stark in contrast. It's this, it's the reg- It's a score, the Magnolia score. I don't know what it's called, but like it's that mm-hmm. really anxious type of music. It just creates such negative tension. And it's this lead up to getting on the game show. Like everyone's getting set up, all the backstage stuff is going on. But the music and the feel of that scene seems so sinister. Like there's something... Uh, something sinister behind this kid's game show. And then the show starts, and then the show's music starts, and it's cheery and bright uh, game show music. And that switch from the the score to the uh, game show music, it kind of just helps expose the inauthenticity of the show and the people involved in it because you see the the stark difference i'll I'll add to that i think i think it also it also uh reminds us of like the inner i like that word the inauthenticity of filmmaking in general which which it it just brings to light how much music does yeah to heighten or create an illusion of some sort of atmosphere or reality that isn't really there because as soon as you turn the music off and it's just a box with people Mm -hmm. in it Mm -hmm. and just ordinary sounds like feet you know, mm-hmm. walking across mm-hmm. floor or someone creaking in their seat. Yeah. It just seems so yeah. like, like something's wrong about that when yeah. really that's just what things sound like. Right. So, it, you know, it's like Coen brothers sort of back to like no country with like no score. What about uh, best subversion? So 
subverting uh, the, I don't know, the genre or subverting our expectations? Are there any moments in the film that, that does that? Uh, I, I struggle with this because I don't know what genre to put this film in. Hmm. It, the P.T. Anderson <laughs> genre. It's so, it's, it's so complex and, it, and it's so interwoven with so many different film genre angles that I, I don't know if it's subverting anything. Chris? Um, to me, there's not a lot. I, I, when I watch this movie, I think a lot of the plot lines fulfill where it's, where it needs to go. So you're hoping John C. Riley is going to meet someone and he does, uh, officer Jim, and you're hoping Claudia will find a decent man and get off drugs. And she does. And, <laughs> and, and you, you want Earl Partridge to not be in pain and he's not in pain. And you want Frank Mackey to somehow have a reckoning with his father. And that also occurs. I think people don't want Linda to die and she doesn't die. And um, I'd say the the weird one, although it, it's kind of accelerated, is Jimmy Gator's wife leaving him, right? So sort of, it, it's, you know, come home immediately, Frank. He comes home. They talk. The beginning of the scene is quite, like, nice and loving. And then he had, and I think the turn is when he admits to her, um, well, I've had infidelities. And then she quite quickly goes, well, did did you did you touch Claudia? And then she leaves, and I'm like, why are you kind of leaving now, right? And and as I go through these characters, so Donnie has a change of heart, um, and Officer Jim helps him. So it's hard to see. It's hard to see where it is. The only one is maybe Jimmy Gator, and then and then as it goes, if Jimmy Gator killed himself, that would. But then the frog kind of saves him in a weird way, right? And and we don't know if the fire kind of consumes him or not. They cut. Right, you don't really see that. So, does he somehow live and have to kind of live with his, yeah. his, um, his terrible abuse? So it's hard to find. Oh, you know, maybe it's the father, <laughs> the father of Stanley, where the father just doesn't care. It seems like so Stanley's like, you got to start treating me nicely, and the dad's like, go to bed. Yeah. Um, but then there's victory and just the kid standing up to his father, and mm-hmm. I, I doubt he'll mm-hmm. come back to that game show kind of thing, <laughs> right? And it's like, yep, you you're not going to get this record. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I, I found it hard too because I looked down all the storylines and and it was it was tough to find one mm. and even the rapper kid got all that money so yeah. I, I have one thing to say about best subversion um, the use of singing the character singing uh, I think it's used to make us suspend our be- belief uh, and it primes us for, for what comes next the raining frogs um, so it adds this magical realism element to an otherwise realistic drama, right? This is realistic Mm -hmm, drama. mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden there's this bit where they're all singing and you're like, what the heck? But you, you accept it and you, and you, you, you'd be like, yeah, yeah, this works in this film. And that is magical realism, I think, right? It's, it's this, uh, element which allows us to accept the concept of the raining frogs that happens next. Um, which in any other context, in any other film, you'd be like, what, this makes no sense. Um, and I think that was the, be- the best like subversive moment in the film. Um, it subverted that genre of drama into magical realism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, good point. And it, I, I never thought of it as like that kind of warms you up to like, well, maybe they'll be more likely to accept the reigning frogs because mm-hmm. they already saw like 
people breaking this song. Well, yeah, you see Earl Partridge even singing. And he's yeah. he's basically an, he shouldn't be singing. So it's I mm-hmm. think they're not really singing. I think it's it's supposed to be uh, an artistic way of showing what they're actually all feeling, yeah. right? And the singing yeah, that's right. is not actually yeah. they're not actually singing. There, that's just what's going on inside them. Um, so the last few bits here is the um, I wanted to talk about the opening shot versus the closing shot, and I think that's a something that. Uh, uh, says a lot in movies, you know. Uh, th- there's a bit in the beginning in the prologue that focuses on a boy's face. He's he's a neighbor of the guy who kill who jumps off the building in that prologue. He's the boy that's interviewed, um, and the narrator is talking about how this boy explained uh, how the, how the the, um, the the kid who committed suicide loaded the gun and it's the neighbor who reveals this truth right and it shows this boy's face and he looks straight at the camera and he looks sad because um well all the tragedy happening around him and then it cuts from that boy's face to stanley's face um in the present day on tv in a game show um and both faces look really sad um these sad kids and then a few of the last shots in the film show Stanley's smile. Uh, he's happy at the end when it's raining frogs. Uh, and then in the very final shot, we see Claudia, and it's her face. She's the last shot of the film. And she smiles for the first time in the entire movie, and then it cuts to black. Um, so this is contrasting of sad and happy faces with the opening and closing um, th- that, I, that I wanted to point out. I don't know, do you guys have any... Um, uh, thoughts on that? Um, so feel free to cut this when we actually edit it. Sure. But um, this could be like negative Chris time if that it has a little bit like Jake, <laughs> like like Jake That's alluded. A new category. <laughs> negative I think this, Chris. This time. could go somewhere. Um, like I well, I don't want to put, but I'll say like like Jake. I didn't care for that beginning too much, mm. right? And and the prologue. To, yeah, and I sort of saw like the opening is the you know the Greenberry Hill, and then these names happen to be the same, and I, I was like, what? Uh, I was like, let's just get on with it, sort of thing, and and um, and then it, and then it cuts to the building scene, and then and then it also has this like scuba diving, uh, blackjack dealer or poker yeah. dealer or something like that. So right, that yeah. yeah. So there are all those three, and I, I mean I like the analysis of the, the sort of the happy and sad and all that boy, but. There, there is a part of this film, and you know, I, I've got you know, PT Anton doesn't need anything from me. Where it's, it is sort of a director being clever movie, right? So I'm going to do a, a really long track shot and and this like ex- mm-hmm. exceedingly long intros. Uh, I'm going to make the soundtrack almost exclusively Amy Mann songs. It's indulgent. Yeah, uh, which which you know what I'll, is he started all that stuff, right? And and um and then you think of say like. Um, you know, the social network and like trend, you know, these sorts of things where you just use one thing. Um, And I remember the frog thing when I first saw it really throwing me off and I don't really know what to think of the frog. I accept the frog scene and I, and, and I like the frog scene, but it's just one of those things. Like it was just blatant Bible reference, um, like kind of thrown at us. I think it's more than that. And, and, to, to sort of signify something. And I understand that. And, and th- this is a movie, right? Like uh, he, and he can do what he wants. So 
I, I looked at that and go, Oh, like, you know, what's, what's kind of happening now sort of thing. Well, but wait, uh, those are my thoughts so far. Yeah, I agree, Chris. I, 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 I find myself sometimes watching a movie like this and going like, do, am I, am I just accepting this because I, I, I don't want to disagree with like what is a critically acclaimed movie or that this guy is clearly um, very good at what he does. Therefore mm-hmm. he could do no wrong. Hmm. And, I, and I mean, no, because I, I'm okay with criticizing movies and, and being maybe like, I'm not going to give that a 10 out of 10. I actually thought it was an eight, but, oh. but, but in this case, uh, no, I didn't think this movie was an eight. And I'm joking. Yeah. It was a seven. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I definitely feel like it's one of those movies like where when you watch it again or, or maybe like you watch it in a different mood or different time in your life, you're going to get something different. I actually really didn't like the sing-along the first time. Yeah. And then, and then the second time, um, I don't know, maybe I just needed to hear that song. It's a, it is a beautiful song. So like obviously that was a big piece. It's like capturing, like choosing the right song there was critical. Um, it always is, but I think in this case they really had to nail it, and it's, and it's fantastic. And, it, and I, so the second time around, I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, frogs, I still don't know what I think. Like to this day, I don't know. Wow. My, my, my final thought so is excited. on whether they, whether they need to be there, and whether it's the ultimate example of indulgence by um, a director to say, yeah, we're gonna rain frogs. Am I gonna rain frogs for like what is it, six minutes? How long I do those frogs come? Those frogs yeah. come down for? That's that's so. That leads to the last category, deeper questions and insights. I'd love well, to We're hear... not going to do MVPs? Oh. <laughs> I, I don't care. I'm okay. just wondering. We can. Oh, we, we yeah. might not have time. Uh, so deeper questions and insights of the There's film. time. So, <laughs> um, There's always time. Deeper questions and insights uh, that you might have about this film. And so it seems like you're already bringing up the frogs. Is what does the frogs mean? Um, like, What do you guys think the, the, the themes, the major theme? or um, deeper ideas in this film are. And just take it away, whatever you want to say, whatever you think. I'll, I'll go last. Well, because you want to talk about the frogs last? No, you could talk in any order. But, you're, but, you, but, but you really want to talk about the frogs. Like, I, feel like you didn't, I feel like you didn't get a chance to talk about them, yeah, and we I were just it. talking about them, and you yeah. were patiently waiting. Okay, do you want me to go, go first? Yeah, man. Well, it's not frogs. just about the frogs. I, just, okay. just, I have a bunch of musings about the what I think the film's about. Because okay. it's one of those films you're like, what is this movie about? Um, but you're also going to talk about the frogs. Yeah, that's part of Do it. Do it, yeah. Um, so I have some notes here that the, the, the film's about suffering, I think. I think that's one of the ideas. Uh, and then there's this concept of the sins of the father shall be visited upon the sons. That whole like, that, that saying, that expression. That, and then it, it's translated in the film as we might be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. That's a line that's repeated throughout. They even say like, and the book says, uh, we might be through with the past and the past ain't through with us. I was like, what book? <laughs> um, and uh, the Bible, but no, that, that, that line's not in the Bible, I don't know. Contrasts with Mackey's line, the most useless thing is that which is behind me. He says that, and that's false definitely false it's a lie because the movie shows that's not true so i i think there's this element of spirituality in the film uh especially noticeable in phrases like don't mistake children for angels um and the black kid and his rap there's lots of religions religious allusions in that he says something along the lines of try i i I, uh copied and pasted the actual lyrics it goes 
try to listen and learn, check that ego, come off it. I'm the prophet, the professor. I'm a teacher about the worm who eventually turned to catch wreck with the neck of a longtime oppressor. And he's running from the devil, but the debt is always gaining. And if he's worth being hurt, he's worth bringing pain in. When the sunshine don't work, the good Lord bring it the rain in. That last bit, like that sometimes hard times are given to us to help us grow. And it's like that line, that cliche that everyone hears, it happens for a reason. Things happen for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. It's a very cliche line that I think P.T. Anderson's trying to play with and subvert actually here. Um, it's it's related also to that same idea that everything is connected, which is also cliche in movies, right? Like all the characters interconnecting. And I think this is part of the subversion of his film because he's he's saying that nothing is coincidence or is it? And so when the frogs reign at the end, for mostly everyone, including us, the viewers, it's an inexplicable moment. Like you said, to this day, you're still feeling that way. Kind kind of like an act of God or a miracle. It can't like what what is this? Is it supposed to be like something that's not explained? But it can also be seen as a metaphor for a release or for like a sacrifice. I think because I, I this time what I noticed when watching it when the frogs falling was how uh, violent they were falling and how gory it was. Yeah. Oh, it's really um, hard to watch. Yeah. Like it's like and. And so it seems like, is this like a sacrifice, like something else, like frogs, taking the fall for people's sins and problems? Or is it, as a, is it a symbol of all their pain that unites all the characters? So it's, it's all, they're all, the frogs are falling all around all of them. Um, and it, it, it's actually this, this horrible, chaotic moment, of this, this scary moment of frogs falling that leads to Officer Jim having empathy for Donnie. Uh, or, it, for example, it also allows the mother of Claudia to care for her daughter and the daughter to feel protected by her mother. Like she rushes into her, to her apartment and is like holding her, her daughter at the end there when the, it's raining frogs. It takes away Gator's agency too, the frog. Doesn't let him take his own life or put himself out of his misery. So I saw it as like a way of getting back at Gator. Like, no, you can't kill yourself. We're not gonna let you kill yourself. You're gonna have to suffer, right? Um, and so the frog keeps him from being able to make his own choice about his, his death there. Um, but for Stanley, I think it's not symbolic. And that's, that's the clever part at the end by P.T. Anderson. Because I don't think P.T. Anderson's a religious guy, so I don't think he's necessarily subscribing to this belief that like everything happens for a reason uh, or, or that it's some spiritual thing. He's, he's actually, I, I think, uh, trying to show through Stanley that actually this is not symbolic. It's actual science. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Stanley's watching and he says, this happens. And if you look at the books that are on the, the table of the library, some of them are about weather and frogs coming from the uh, raining down, and he's reading about weather patterns because that actually can happen. Um, when uh, like hurricanes or tornadoes pick up a bunch of frogs in a swamp or a body of water, and then it carries them somewhere else and then drops them uh, with, the with the rest of the precipitation. Right. Yeah, I had to go look that up too. And I think what, 
Like this is just like an exaggerated version yeah, of something of course, that, that yeah. can happen. It's you might get a few version. a few frogs, but not like a downpour. Yeah, yeah. For, no, it's a for, cinematic you know, version half of it, right? An hour. <laughs> but but there's like a scientific explanation for it, right? And that's like the that's the that's why Stanley is at so at peace while everyone else is like, what the heck's going on? Um, and there's tons of weather reports throughout the film, and that act they act as transitions, but I think they're they're foreshadowing, right? Because weather. Weather forecasts are ways in which we try to uh, feel like we have control over our environment, right? Mm. That's what a weather well, forecast what is. What was the weather forecast the day of the frogs? Wasn't it clear? Like yeah, zero clear, percent clear, chance yeah, of precipitation, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so it's kind of it's kind of almost too on the nose. Yeah. Like ah, but guess what? Yeah, yeah. Frogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm saying perhaps the film is basically showing us that we don't really have control over our environment. Right, like, and, and as much as we try to, there's always going to be suffering and pain. But that the suffering and pain actually unites everybody, and perhaps it's meant to increase our empathy for each other, our ability to recognize the humanity, and like the story behind every single person. Um, in this story, just focus on people in Magnol and that intersected along Magnolia Boulevard. Um, so that was my interpretation of the frogs this time around watching it because normally uh, over the last few times I've watched I'm like yeah what do the frogs mean is it just a bi biblical reference no I think it was more than that but yeah sorry that was a mouthful no that's good uh, I'll say to that um, I agree and and I did buy it when I eventually watched it and and I I accepted it and I actually really liked the aftermath you know how like careful they're walking when they're going to their car and it's just like all the squishing sounds <laughs> they're walking, or like the driving scene yeah, it's pretty and gross. um you're talking about how violent they fall down it's it is here's another cliche scene but this sort of like overturned car that slides in exactly where they need to be so the ambulance tipping over and then it just like ultra slides right into the hospital <laughs> and then outside earl partridge's pool and you see this pool scene and i'm always fixated on the railing because there's a couple of frogs that like hit the just, yeah they hit the railing and you could just like their bodies kind of like you know would just like fall apart when they when they hit that thing but i i bought it and i accepted um because it led to what came afterwards, right? There was a real kind of like, it, it was sunny afterwards and that, and uh, and they went along. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to just quickly further your answer, which it, it, all this stuff is pretty obvious, but the, I like how, uh, thank you, Charlie, for all those quotes. I thought of those quotes. The, the one in my head was, um, confuse children with angels. And I'll just sort of add to yours a little bit, these sort of really close-ups of the tiny words. So like they do a close-up of this, like it happened, like, the words in a painting in Earl Partridge's house or something like that. So, oh, yes. yeah, yeah, they I do remember. these like, you know, he does this kind of like loop focus thing. Yeah. But um, I wrote here, there's a real theme of um, fathers and children, mm -hmm. right? So like Bert and Claudia, Earl and Frank, Stanley is, and his father, and a real theme of infidelity, right? So it's like Earl cheated on his wife, Bert is cheating on his wife. Uh, Frank is not married, but there's an illusion that like he's he's pretty promiscuous. <laughs> and uh, and stuff like that, and you just you kind of like oh okay, there's th this is this is really what's happening here, and 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 he's playing with those themes, and he's he's kicking them all into gear. I I just wanted to to just quickly mention that uh, this is bugging me. Uh, the actress's name, the interviewer is April Grace. She played the part of Guinevere. Hmm. So 
I had I had to get that squared away. <laughs> um, the <laughs> uh, themes. So yeah, for for me, um, these are a bit broad. Um, didn't go into it nearly as deep as Charlie. Um, <laughs> we, we can we can't compete. <laughs> we can never. Oh, the English teacher. Um, just the fragility of life. I think is was a big part of it for me, uh, which is something that's like that's such a common theme in many ways. But I think this really got at it in like a very sort of um, like he was he was merciless and in, in basically like those scenes where he would just let it go on and on and he would just remind us like what that looks like what does life look like when it really starts to fall apart not just with Earl Partridge but other people mm. like Claudia um, you know Jimmy Gator when sort of, certainly we sort of see his sort of not perfect life but just he's no longer going to be able to be the Jimmy Gator he was because his dark secrets are now out and there's no going back and just how life can fall apart so quickly for various reasons um i also thought about like the theme of like how desperate we can become when we're cornered that mm. we're just like we're animals no matter no matter what no matter how civil we think we are or how or how well we can handle things at some point people are going to react a certain way because they're backed into a corner and mm. we sort of see what happens when they get pushed to that point either over a long-term series of events or just something that suddenly happens uh we get to see how humans respond in those situations. I think this movie like explored that in many ways. Can I just add, so who, I, I like that. We're, we're backed into a corner. So who would you say, Jake, are like the people that reacted the most? Who's, who's backed into a corner? Can, can you comment more? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think like the ultimate is probably TJ Mackey because he's, he is, he can't he can't get out of like once 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 the phone call gets through and he has to basically deal with reality and deal reckon with his past we get to see like how a guy who looks like he he would just be completely invulnerable like this is a guy who cannot be like you can't chisel through that armor and then and then you see like no even this guy even this guy has a weak point and 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 we get to see exactly what that is right when he's when he's forced to connect with his father and, and deal with who he is. Um, it's the ultimate, like, like he's an, you know, in that moment, he's an animal who's trying to figure out how am I going to navigate this? And he realizes like he, he simply can't. Cool. Um, we could close with MVP of the movie. When we each give an MVP. Okay. Chris, you want to, what do you, what do you got? My runner up is officer Jim. Okay. But my winner is, Tom Cruise's Frank T.J. Mackey Partridge. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. I I think like I, if I looked at this category um, like seriously, I think I, I would have to agree like like Mackey wins it. But actually, like when I watched this movie again and I, and I was watching it on a big screen in the, in an armchair like pretty close to the screen on Blu-ray like in really good definition, and I I was just amazed at Tom Cruise's hair. <laughs> yes so it's, it's insane it's hilarious how it's it's cut it's almost like a little bit of an anton sugar thing going on yeah. with how like it's such a weird awkward cut it's yeah. all even and it's just such a bizarre choice they made like to be like man bun yeah he's got he's a, bit a man of a, bun before the man buns were a thing yeah he was the original <laughs> man bun um and then i i also like i really thought the music like yeah the score yeah the score was incredible um, yeah. and, and it just, it completely, it worked so well as it paced back and forth between the Amy man shots. And then like, what's up with the, uh, 
the song Dreams by Gabrielle. <laughs> like, <laughs> what like was that? What? the Donnie, Donnie yeah. car oh, yeah, scenes. Like, all, yeah, it's just, the same song in just, every car. It, it's it got that, that one track. cassette take. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cassette, awesome cassette yeah. take. So just some, yeah. Not really an MVP, maybe, but definitely a, a chin scratcher. <laughs> Why is that yeah. song on repeat? Yeah. Amy Mann is a definite MVP. Mm-hmm. This is her, yeah, um, sure. um, her apex mountain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think for me, it was, yeah, like you said, the score, the editing. The editing for me was just, yeah, like how do you, how do you put together eight stories so seamlessly in a three-hour movie? It just it was insane. Um, and the frogs. I think the frogs are my MVP because that's wow. what people remember this movie for and people don't always get what the frogs meant and I feel like Stanley who's like, yeah, this happens. <laughs> mm. I get it. I, I, I like my interpretation of it and it makes, and so I, it makes me like the film more and the frogs are the reason for that. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So Well, thanks for hosting, Charlie. Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking that Thank on. Thank you again. very much. I, I continue to um, blow off my duty of hosting at some point. I will, but thanks again for taking the reins. I'm sorry it was so long. I just thought we should do a three-hour podcast for a three-hour movie, you know? Yeah, we, we <laughs> want to keep a one-to-one ratio. Uh, as it stands, we're at a, about a one-to-two ratio. We're oh, my nine, We're at the 90-minute mark oh my gosh. here. So uh, We're going to need a good editor. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks um, for listening, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.